Good morning. Happy Easter. Uh, We're so glad that you joined us. My name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of bringing you hope this morning. If you need hope, you're in the right place, okay? So um, it is a great morning to celebrate uh, with God's people. And if you're visiting, one of the things we do is we open God's word and we just study through uh, God's word. When we open the Bible, God opens his mouth and speaks to us. And we want you to hear from the Lord this morning. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15. We've been studying through this book. And the Apostle Paul makes the gospel clear, explicit. This is one of the most uh, concise pictures of the gospel that we see in the whole Bible. And I want to read it to you here in the first couple verses. He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, apparently, this word is very important because He's saying, you've received the gospel, I preach the gospel, we should share the gospel, right? Gospel, gospel, gospel. Well, I want to ask a question as we start here. Let's just hit pause and ask you this question. Have you ever had someone use a word in a sentence that you didn't know the meaning to that word, but it was too late to ask? Because you know everybody knows this word, but I don't. And they're just talking about it, and it's, just, it's too late to ask or ask Siri uh, what the word means because you can't just stop and Google it right there. Um, And this is really hard right now. All of us experience this because words are constantly changing, aren't they? Constantly new words. I mean, forget about words that your great-grandmother didn't know, right? Because remember in the 90s, it was the dot-com bubble burst. Like, like what is the dot-com bubble? Well, now, I mean, if you were just in a coma the last year, you come back and it's a whole new English language, isn't it? I mean, you come back to FOMO and... You're like, FOMO, yeah, man, you went on this trip, and you're like, oh, I got FOMO, and hashtag FOMO, and all these pictures of vacations, and FOMO, it's, and you're like, ah, FOMO, so that's a thing, and then people are talking about virtue signaling, I mean, the problem with this culture is this generation, it's a bunch of virtue signalers, just virtue signaling this, virtue signaling that, and, dis- and you're like, yeah, totally, virtue signaling all over the place. If you don't know what that means, you can't stop and ask right now. Because everybody else knows, and you don't. Sorry. Uh, we were at uh, this friend, um, Jeff and I were with a friend, and uh, we are talking about gaslighting. We're like, bro, you got gaslighted. They are gaslighting you like crazy. You got gaslit. Sorry, man. And he stops. And he looks around the restaurant. And he's like, hey, we're among friends here, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, what does gaslighting mean, right? If you don't know, I'm sorry. You're going to have to ask somebody later, all right? Somebody will know uh, the whole history of psychological manipulation and how it works. But yesterday, something happened to me. Got a call at 7 a.m. There was a trucker out here that that pulled off the exit, parked it right by our church. Uh, I get a call from someone out here at this church. uh, Hey, there's this trucker out here. You know, because call the pastor, because he knows how to help truckers, apparently. (laughs) Guy's leaking antifreeze all over, and so call the pastor, right? So I'm standing out there with this trucker, and, you know, Lance Van Wyk helps us. He, like, Google it and find some guy to come out. Uh, But anyway, we're we're standing out there, and I'm like, well, uh, I'm a pastor. I don't know how to fix your truck, but uh, I... 
I'd love to talk to you about the gospel. You know what the gospel is? He goes, oh yeah, I was raised in church. I'm like, oh sweet, what's the gospel? And he goes, well, you know, it's kind of the point of the whole thing, right? And I was like, yeah, what's the point of the whole thing? And he said, no, he said, he, go, he points over to the church. Well, over here, he points over there. He goes, well, you know, it's the sermon. It's all the stuff that happens in there. I'm like, I know. What happens in there, right? And, and he's like, I don't know. I don't know what that word means. This morning, we're among friends, right? I'm going to tell you what that word means, and it's going to change your life. He says, for I passed on to you, verse three, I passed on to you as of most important what I also received. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There it is, that is the gospel. Here it is. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, gospel. This, this word, it's a Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. If someone throws down gospel on you, they just told you some good news, right? And what is the good news? The gospel is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. If somebody hasn't told you that, they haven't told you the gospel. Let's break it down. First question, why does good news start with a death? That sounds like the worst news, right? Somebody died, great news. We call it Good Friday. Well, what's so good about Good Friday? We show up and we reflect on some innocent guy that was murdered. How could that possibly be Good Friday? Sounds like the worst Friday. Well, death is good news because it was death for our sins, Paul says, for our sins. The Bible says all have sinned. I was talking to my friend. He's an atheist, doesn't believe in God. I said, have you ever sinned? He's like, of course. Well, like, how is that possible? If there's no God, then what rules have you ever broken? You're just making them up anyway, right? But he himself realized, I'm a sinner. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've lusted. I've been greedy. All of these things, anger, that is sin, and like all guilty people, we deserve a penalty, and the gospel begins with a death because Jesus took our penalty upon himself. I want you to think of this sin problem as a broken relationship. Do any of you have broken relationships, awkward relationships? That's what sin does is it separates friends. And that's what happened with our relationship with our creator God is our relationship was broken. I was uh, talking to my brother this week and we were talking about a mutual friend. He said, oh, my friend, uh, Chris, he said, um, he was telling me, you know, a lot of times when, when uh, one of the worst days of people's life is the day they remember their parents got divorced and he said, my parents got divorced. He goes, but it wasn't the worst day of my life. It was the best day of my life. Because finally we were free from the abuser. And my mom and I were free from that man. That's what sin does. 
It destroys families, it destroys people, it alienates us from each other, but most importantly, God himself. I want you to imagine my friend Chris, imagine after years and years away, 30 years down the road, Chris's dad just walks into the house, sits down in that lazy boy chair, picks up the remote and says, I wonder what's on TV. And what would you say if you're my friend Chris? Oh, that's nice. You're just going to come in after 30 years of neglect. And I, oh, yeah, all those years of abuse. Then you were gone, and you're just going to come in, try to sweep the last 30 years under the rug and say we're good. Okay, that is the fundamental problem with humans is that we are separated from God in that way. Do you think when you die, you're just gonna roll into heaven and sit down on the lazy boy? I'm like, I'm here. Oh no. A life of ungratefulness, a life of sin, a life of rejecting God, a life of hurting other people, leaving this trail of debris behind us as we focus on ourselves to get what's mine And you are that man. All of us have sinned in that way. And all of us, you want to know why we fight as humans? The news, both sides, the tribes, all that. It's because of this. Sin. That's what sin does. It tears people apart, but most importantly, apart from God. So the story of God and humanity is a story of a broken relationship. So how are you going to atone for? How are you going to pay back the consequences of your sin? You're not. You can't. And that's why Good Friday is so good, because Jesus did. Jesus took your sin and the brokenness upon himself, and he healed your relationship with God by solving your sin problem, not sweeping it under the world, but put under the rug, but putting it on himself. That's why there had to be a death. And Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that we came running back to the door of heaven and knocking and say, I want in. It's no, Jesus came back to us when we were far away from home. We didn't want to go home. He came for us and he died for us. That's the good news and how it begins. He died to get us back in the house, right? The second thing Paul says, you got to have the death of Jesus or you don't have the gospel. You got to have the burial of Jesus. Verse four, that he was buried. Why in the gospel does it emphasize the burial of Jesus? We sing about this, buried in Joseph's tomb, buried in the grave. Why the emphasis on the burial? Have any of you guys seen Princess Bride? Remember that medieval doctor that's like, he's not dead, he's mostly dead. Okay, um, If you haven't seen it, you're going to go have a lot of vocabulary words to look up, FOMO and all that stuff, and then you want to watch this movie because it's great. But here's Paul. The reason he's emphasizing the burial of Jesus is because he's saying he's not mostly dead. He's dead, dead. Like that dead corpse was in in, in the tomb for three days. And the third part of the gospel, he says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, this people, the Corinthians, whom this letter was written to, they were denying the bodily resurrection 
uh, it's a whole history of Greek thought and dualism and how they body and like the body was evil and the soul and all that stuff, but we won't get into that. But he's correcting them. He's saying, no, if there's not a bodily resurrection, then the whole story is a sham. Like our whole belief system is based on the fact that Jesus Christ got a new body. And so you also will get a new body. If not, you have believed for nothing. It's all in vain. So come back next week and we'll be talking more about the new body. Don't let this be a one and done for you because next week we are gonna talk about the resurrection of the body and it's gonna be maybe even more exciting than this morning. Well, why did there have to be a resurrection? Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead the foundation of the entire faith? The resurrection had to happen because the penalty for sin, remember the sin was death, and the penalty for the penalty for sin is death, and the resurrection had to happen to solve our death problem. All humans are on death row because of sin. We know this, that all of us are going to die. In fact, this last year for us has been a year of watching humanity as a whole suppress this one thing that none of us can avoid, death. Hebrews 9, 27 says, it actually gets worse than death because the judgment is coming. He says, it is appointed for humans to die once and then to face judgment. Your life will end not just with the way you die, but it will keep going after you die. To one eternity or another, Hebrews 9.27 says, and Jesus, this is the good news, Jesus solved the two biggest problems you will ever face in this life, your sin problem and your death problem. And that is the gospel this morning. That it doesn't matter how alienated, how badly you messed up your life, Jesus Christ has brought you back into relationship with the Father. And he, you don't have to be afraid of death because he's gonna give you a new body if you follow him and believe in him. That is the good news. That's why we're here on Easter Sunday to tell you that message. Now, I had an Old Testament professor. I went to a secular university a few miles to the east of here and my professor said, your faith in Jesus is no different than your faith in the tooth fairy. He said, you celebrating the resurrection of Jesus is like celebrating an enchanted magical land of leprechauns at the end of a rainbow. So what do you say, Christian, about your belief in Jesus Christ and the resurrection on that Easter Sunday a couple of thousand years ago? Why do you believe the tomb was empty? Why do you follow Jesus Christ as Lord? Is it because you feel in your heart that it's true? Well, everybody feels in their heart what they believe is true. Otherwise, they wouldn't believe it. So your feelings aren't really gonna make something true or not. Why are you a Christian, I ask? Because it's true. 
It's true apart from what I think about it. It's just true. And Paul lays out four reasons that we know it's true. How do we know it's true? Two times in this, he says, according to the scriptures, the death, according to the scriptures, the resurrection, according to the scriptures. First thing Paul says is, it's fulfilled prophecy. It is fulfilled prophecy. The birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus was predicted thousands of years ago. Did you know that today, we are celebrating, well, it's actually today, Easter Sunday, is the last day of Passover. Do you know what Passover is? Passover is a Jewish holiday that has been celebrated for hundreds of years. No, thousands of years. They have been celebrating. And what I love about Easter is we know the exact time that it happened. It's not like Christmas, like, ah, we'll say December. No, we We know when Jesus was crucified because it's connected to the Jewish calendar, to Passover. Today, Jewish people celebrate the last day of Passover. What is Passover? Remember that day when God brought the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, out of slavery? And how did he do it? He had them crucify or kill a, a little lamb and to take the blood and smear it over the door frame so that the angel of death would pass over those homes because those homes were covered in the blood of the lamb. Have you heard that story before? Is that right? Okay, the whole rest of the Bible, you're like, I tried to read it. It's animals getting sacrificed. I don't get it. Leviticus, all that. Well, it's because it's all a big arrow pointing to Jesus. And I stood in Israel in this museum with the scroll of Isaiah wrapped around this big cylinder. Some of you guys may have been there. And you can read Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. This this ancient scroll that was found in the Qumran caves uh, dated to hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. And you can read the prophecy about the Messiah who will come and by his wounds we will be healed. Verse five, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Here's what Paul's saying here in verses five and six. If you had to prove to someone that you were still alive, Not sure you'd ever have to do this, right? But if you're talking to someone and they're like, hey, did you hear Mark's dead? Like, no, he's not. Like, yeah, yeah, I heard he's dead. Uh, No, he's not. And you text me and you're like, hey, I need to prove that you're still alive. What would I have to do to prove it? I would just show up. That's what Jesus did to prove his resurrection. And Paul is saying there's over 500 witnesses of this. You know what he's saying? And most of them are still alive. That's basically Paul saying, go ask them yourself, Corinthians. You want to know that Jesus is alive? Get in a boat, sail across the Mediterranean, and go talk to them yourself. And they will tell you, yeah, I saw him. I saw him dead, and then I saw him alive. The second reason we know it's true is the eyewitness testimony. You know, in high school, uh, there were a lot of people denying the Holocaust. I think there probably still are uh, conspiracy theories all over the place. But, But in high school, I had the privilege of having a Holocaust survivor come to my English class. He showed us his tattoo. He told us the story, you know, because we had read the book Night 
all about the Holocaust, but then this guy came in and said, this is what happened to me. It was an eyewitness testimony. I lived it. I saw it. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Let's stop right there. Why does he single out James? Who's James? What's the significance of James? Here's why. James was the half-brother of Jesus, okay? In John chapter 7, we find out that James himself, the, uh, I mean, you don't get any closer than family, right? He did not believe in Jesus Christ. He was Jesus' brother, probably saw the miracles. So all this stuff, he's like, nope, he's not the Messiah. Don't believe it. James went on to become one of the leaders in the church. Why? Because he saw Jesus raised from the dead, and that was his conversion. That was his point of saying, I was a skeptic. I don't believe him, but now I know my brother is the Lord. He was raised from the dead. That's why Paul singles out James there. And verse 8, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Here's what Paul's saying. There was a skeptic, James, who came to believe. But it wasn't just skeptics, it was enemies. I did everything I could to put an end to Christianity. I helped kill Christians. So the third point here, why, how you know it's true, it's not just the eyewitnesses, eyewitness testimony of all the groupies. It's the eyewitness testimony of doubters and enemies. I want you to think about this for a minute. These people back in the first century had no political, financial, cultural benefits in believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, it was a massive liability to say, I'm with Jesus, because now that meant you were going to be a persecuted, marginalized minority. And most of these people went on to even die for their belief in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the reason they did this is because they saw Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to die for something that is a sham that I don't really believe happened. Verse 11, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Paul then points to them and he says, you yourself have been changed by the good news about Jesus. You're, the last point of how you know it's true is your own testimony. This room is filled with changed lives. We're about to watch a video. We're gonna do baptisms and you're gonna hear stories of people whose lives are changed. So, I want to finish the story about my friend Matt, the trucker. So we're talking, and I share the gospel with him. I share with him what I just shared with you about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I said, hey, Matt, what if I, I said, hey, hey, I'll, you know, forget the mechanic. I just want to give you a new, new, a new semi, everything. I spend, you know, $250,000 on this most beautiful semi trailer, and I say, just, just drive home. Forget about this thing. I'll, I'll take care of it and I hand you the keys, 
I said, what do you have to do to make it yours? He said, well, I just have to take the keys. I said, yeah, you know, and it'd be an insult to me if you pulled out five bucks and like, hey, let me kind of offset the cost a little bit. You know, that's kind of what we do with all our good works. Oh, oh, Lord, let me help you out a little bit. Your good works mean nothing. It's a gift of God's grace. It's great news. And you know what he said? He goes, I would never take those keys. I couldn't handle you giving me something like that. I said, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, what God has done? And I said, you know, my friend in high school, he was a terrible person. And he met God. God changed his life. And, you know, he's been asking me to come to church. He texted me later last night and he said, hey, do you mind if I get my friend in touch with you? Because he wants to talk to you. His buddy texted me last night, was like, thanks for sharing Jesus. Matt's like, I, I think I'm going to go to church. Maybe God didn't bring here, me here to fix my semi, but to fix my life. You know, Jesus came for you. And I don't know how you got here, broken down car, and you just walked in. Jesus is alive, and he's saying to you, hey, come. Come to me. You just hold out your hands and receive the best gift you've ever been given. As you watch these testimonies, consider this, the voice of God to you, the invitation of Jesus to you to come. Let's turn our attention to the screen.